before I get into the word, um, I have one other announcement. Um, and uh, in, in regards to Mission Solano, I am the pastor of spiritual formation at Mission Solano. And right now I am, I've got a project. I'm trying to build a library for our guests at the mission so that they can have access to biblical resources um, if, uh, when, when we're going through biblical studies at the mission. So if you have books in your library, like Bible dictionaries, commentaries, concordances, or any theological books, um, please um, drop them off here at, uh, at the church office, and they will be put to great use. So if they're sitting in, on your shelf and, and you're no longer using them, please um, uh, uh, donate them and, and so that they can bless others because I have, um, uh, like la- the, this last week, I was just teaching on Christ in the Old Testament and their hearts just started leaping when they saw him through the pages of the Old Testament. And so I just want these, uh, the folks at Mission Solano that we serve to have access to these resources so that they can grow in their, in their faith in the Lord. So um, that's enough of that. Um, this morning, we are going to be going through 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. The passage reads, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ." Join with me and pray this morning, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this privilege, this wonderful opportunity to come before your people and preach your word. But God, I I, I know the, the seriousness of my work this morning, that I'm not just giving... Um, a, a message, a lecture, Father. I am presenting before your people, those in attendance here, the word of God. It's not just words from a, a, a worldly or human written book, Father. It is a divine word, and I myself will have to one day stand before your presence and give an account for how I preached your word. And so, God, I pray that you would be with me, that by your spirit you would empower me to preach clearly. And that you would empower those here in attendance to hear with open hearts, Father. May you do that by your spirit, God. And Lord, help me. I pray that you would calm my nerves and that I would not worry or care about what people may think about me. Or if I stumble or stutter, Father, because you are my ultimate one and only audience, Lord. And you're the one that I must please and not people here this morning. And so, God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way. Through the preaching of your gospel, exalt your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray these things in his wonderful, matchless, and precious name. Amen. 
the engagement ring is uh, a very significant piece of jewelry. Uh, When a man believes in his heart of hearts that he's finally found that woman who he wants to spend the rest of his life with, he musters up the courage to, to get down on his knees and let her know that you are the one. You're that woman that I want to yoke myself with for the rest of my life. I'm done searching. I found the one. But of course, she's, if, if she's old school, you've got to go through her father and ask for his blessing first, right? Um, and I had to do that. So the first thing that my wife asked me back then, my girlfriend, when I got up off my knees was, what was it, Josie? Did you ask dad, right? <laughs> and what did I say? I said, well, he never said anything about a long engagement, and he didn't say that I couldn't propose, so we're good. <laughs> and uh, so... Anyhow, as wonderful as the engagement ring is, it's only penultimate. It's not the ultimate, right? The reason is because it's only temporary. It points to a time in the future where the relationship between a man and a woman uh, graduates from uh, the engaged stage to the married stage. The, The engagement season only anticipates a future date that is to come when man and woman finally exchange their vows and then another ring is given. And that ring is not temporary, but it is permanent. So the promise that was made at the proposal becomes realized on that wedding day. The engagement ring, it is significant, but again, it's not ultimate. It was penultimate. It wasn't the end all be all. It pointed to something future, to that That which was more glorious and more permanent, marriage. Paul talks about the same, uh, Paul talks the same way regarding the relationship between the old covenant ministry and the new covenant ministry in chapter 3 of our book today. The old covenant ministry had a degree of glory. It was glorious, but the glory that the old covenant ministry had was fading. It It was passing away. And it faded when Christ came to fulfill his atoning work on the cross to die for the sins of the world. The new covenant ministry far surpassed the old covenant ministry. This is what Paul says in chapter 3 verse 9. The the new covenant ministry far surpasses the old covenant because the ministry of the law, which brought condemnation has been surpassed by the ministry of righteousness, which brings life. The new covenant ministry has Jesus Christ as its object, and Christ is worth it. We've gone from the old covenant ministry to the new covenant ministry. Everything in the Old Testament, all the promises, all the prophecies, pointed to not one thing, but one person, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the new covenant ministry is way, way better Then the old covenant ministry, it pointed to something future. And that was realized when Christ finally came. So Paul picks up on that glorious gospel ministry here in chapter 4 verse 1. He says, therefore, pointing back to what he was talking about previously regarding the new covenant ministry. Having this ministry, therefore, having this ministry... If you're, if you're a Christian here this morning, you've been drafted into the gospel ministry. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You are in the ministry. And our ultimate goal in life is not to be the best husband, to be the most respectable wife, to be the smartest student, or to be the most hardworking employee. 
As important as those roles are, they're merely vehicles whereby which God uses to, uh, to, to convey or to communicate or transport the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through our lives. This morning, brothers and sisters, we've got to get our perspective right. As Christians, we're all on mission. It's not just the pastor, the music director, the elders, or the deacons who are on mission. We're all in ministry. That may look different for many of us, but we're all in. There are no bench warmers in the gospel ministry. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody gets playtime in here. Some positions do get more action, but you will get some playtime. There's nobody sitting on the bench in the gospel ministry. And our goal is to make Christ known. That's why our mission statement here at Parkway is to love, live, declare the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all places to all people. However, as glorious as the gospel ministry is, it's not without opposition, it's not without trials. It's not without hardship. Paul goes on and he says that we have this ministry by God's mercy. Verse 1. There are times when it's not going to be smooth sailing. There are times where it's not going to be just a walk in the park when, uh, when it comes to ministry. And um, that, that's what Paul reminded the Corinthians in chapter 1 verses 8 through 9 of the rough conditions that they encountered in Asia. He says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 27, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. He's talking about the false teachers, the false super apostles. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received the hands, uh, from, uh, at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. You having a bad day? Are you have, how has your week been? Have you been shipwrecked? Have you, been, have you received lashes this week? Are you tired of the gospel ministry? Are you tired in serving the Lord? Look at Paul. And also in 2 Corinthians, in this very same book, in, in chapter 2, verse 4, he talks about a severe letter that he wrote to the Corinthians because they were in opposition to him. So he didn't just have opposition in the world outside, but he had opposition from within the church, within the Corinthian church, a church that he birthed and a church that he pastored. So in fulfilling the gospel ministry in our designated roles, 
we will sometimes come across some sort of opposition. It's not an if it will happen, but it will come. However, regardless of the opposition and the trials that we go through, God has given us mercy to fulfill our calling, which is another implication of Paul's when he says that our ministry in verse 1 is by God's mercy. We're weak and feeble creatures left to ourselves. We will break. Left on our own, to our own devices, to our own means of doing things, our knees will buckle and we will fall sooner or later. However, we aren't alone and God is with us. God supplies us with everything that we need to carry out our mission in bringing the gospel to all peoples. He says in chapter 2, verses, um, actually, where was that? Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Chapter 3. Yeah, there we go. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So we are weak men. However, our sufficiency is not in ourselves. Our sufficiency is in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can have hope. And this morning, Christian, what God wants you to know and what God is calling you today, this morning, is to persevere in the gospel ministry. Paul says it in the negative in verse 1. Look at this. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We've been given this mercy by God to fulfill the glorious calling that we've, uh, we have to, to proclaim Christ. And in order for us to persevere in the gospel ministry, we've got to do three things. First, you must have the right motivation for ministry, verses 1 and 2. And second, you must be clear on the nature of the ministry, verses 3 and 4. And last, you must make Christ known, verses 5 and 6. The first thing we must know in order to persevere in the gospel ministry, you must make or you must have the right motivation for ministry. Paul says... In verse 2, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. This can literally be translated, we've renounced the shameful things that people hide. This is the contrast to how Paul's opponents were acting towards the Corinthian church. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as, but of, but as men of sincerity... As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul and his associates didn't come to the Corinthians church with the gospel using a bait and switch methodology. That some car, uh, similar to car salesman uses uh, who tries to sell you something, uh, is, uh, covering it up or dressing it up as an awesome vehicle. But when you walk away with it, he's actually sold you a lemon. Using the gift of gab, they trick you into buying something that really isn't all that amazing. And Paul is saying that he wasn't like that with the Corinthian church. 
He, he spoke plainly to them. He did not use trickery. And there are three ways that Paul says that uh, he's renounced uh, these shameful things that people hide. The, uh, the first one, he says, uh, the first way that he's renounced shameful things. He, he refuses it by, uh, he refuses to practice trickery. Second, he also refuses to tamper with God's word. And third, he does his ministry in the public eye for all to see in the presence of God. What Paul means to say here is that he didn't make it his practice to live by tricks. Paul never acted in such a way that he had false motives when he came preaching the gospel at Corinth. Also, Paul didn't tamper or adulterate God's word. They, he didn't dilute it with any falsehood. It was truth. Paul always dealt honestly with the Corinthians. Notice something interesting here too that um, in, in how, how Paul dresses this here. He, in order for us to fulfill the gospel ministry, we, we, not need only, we don't need only um, uh, right uh, doctrine, but we also need right practice. So orthopraxy and orthodoxy. Because he says here, we have, uh, in verse 2, he says, we've re- refused to practice cunning, right practice, right living, or to tamper with God's word, right doctrine. And doesn't that still happen today? Um, it's rampant in the prosperity gospel movement where people preach a message that has a Jesus with a hidden agenda, which includes emptying people's pockets and filling their own. People are so amazed when they see the ministries of Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn. They're praised for advancing the gospel saying, wow, look at them. They're doing such great things for the Lord. However, it's a gospel that's no gospel at all because it's emptied of Christ, the real Christ, the true Christ. And people have taken advantage of the gospel of Jesus Christ to feed their own selfish appetites. And some of you may be thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm mean for name-calling. Well, why are you calling out people like Joel Osteen? He's got such a, a million-dollar smile. Well, in relation to Paul, I'm, I'm actually freshman regarding name-calling because if you read uh, 2, Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy, he calls out eight um, heretics and eight false teachers. Paul's got a varsity, varsity letter on his letterman jacket. I just barely made it out of training camp or boot camp. So if you think that I'm mean for name calling, Paul exercises calling out false teachers because he had a heart for the gospel. So in contrast to living in a deceitful way and tampering with God's word, Paul's ministry was done in the open. That meant that he had no hidden agenda. He preached pure truth to people in full view of God's presence. He had nothing to hide. He preached the gospel. He preached Christ. That's what his life was about. What, what are your motivations for, for ministry? Do you serve in order for people to see how wonderful you are? Do you serve in ministry in order to feel good about yourself? What about as a congregation? Uh, what, what are our motives in reaching the community? What's the purpose in changing the lighting in the sanctuary? What's the purpose of, of getting a better sound system? These things in and of themselves are not bad. They're not evil. But if we're hoping 
in these things to build the kingdom of God, then our perspective of what it means to advance the kingdom of God is skewed. It's jacked. Because if those are what we're trusting in and not the gospel, then when trials come into the lives of a people that's, that's depending on those things, people will break. People will buckle. They will not have firm ground to stand on. It's only the truth of God's word that will, that will hold us up. Second, in order for us to persevere in the gospel ministry, or in order for you as an individual in the kingdom of God, you must be clear on the nature of the ministry. Paul says in verses 3 and 4, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There are times when, when I hear people that have preached the gospel um, and, and they say after they preach, you know, I've been preaching um, time and time again. I've preached to this group a hundred, uh, hundreds of times and yet they still don't get it. They still don't come to Christ. They continue in their ways. And, and I don't get it because the, 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 the gospel is quite clear. It's, it's simple. And uh, Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And yet they stay in their weariness and don't want to come to Christ. They stay in their state of self-destruction when Christ says, come to me, and I will give you peace. I just don't get it, is what some people say. And I've heard that personally. Well, the truth is that we can preach the gospel all day. And it won't amount to a hill of beans if the Spirit isn't moving in it. So I can preach you right doctrine all day. I can teach you pure truth all day. However, if the, the, uh, if, if the Spirit does not take the Word of God and thrust it into the hearts of men and women, it will remain ineffective. Why? Why is that? Well, because the problem is a spiritual blindness. People can hear the verbal proclamation of the gospel. But the spirit has to open the ears of the heart. This doesn't negate the fact or the need for the verbal proclamation of the gospel. Because the spirit does not work apart from the, the, the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 says this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. It is through the word of God that men are delivered. It is through the word of God that men are saved. It is through the word of God that, that the Lord begins to open the, the darkened heart and, and bring light in to set it free. All of Satan's tactics, his schemes, his methodologies have one purpose. And what is that purpose? It is to blind those from seeing Jesus Christ. It is to hide Jesus. Now that's exactly what false teachers were preaching at Cor in Corinth. Uh, he, we read in chapter 11, verse 4, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, then the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if... You accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. Paul goes on and he says that these super apostles 
who preach a different gospel in verses 13 and 14 um, uh, were false apostles. They were deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, you've got to be on guard. You've got to know the nature of the ministry if you are to persevere in the gospel ministry. In, in chapter 10, verse 4 of this very same book, Paul says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Are you training yourself and those under your sphere of influence to think biblically and discerningly through what the world preaches? And for you parents, this doesn't mean that you censor your children from everything in the world, but are you teaching them to look through biblical lens? Are you teaching and preparing your children to, to go off into the world, to be able to engage with the worldview that the world is preaching at them? So that when they, they're on their own, they leave your, um, your, your, your roof, they can fall back on the truth to hold them up. When, the, when their world comes crumbling down, they still have the word of truth. When, when all the worldviews are assaulting them, they have the truth of God's word to hold them up, to sustain them, even when they fall. You know, the, the enemy's tactics have not changed for thousands and thousands of centuries. Since the garden, actually. When he tempted Eve in the garden... But what was he doing? What was the enemy doing when he tempted Eve in the garden? He was essentially using God's word to prevent them from seeing the true God, right? He took God's word, he diluted it, he twisted it, and he presented to Eve a God that wasn't the real God. He presented to Eve a, a God that didn't have her, her, um, her, her best in, in mind. He presented a God that didn't want Eve to, to experience joy, you see, the, the, the nature of the gospel ministry is a spiritual one. We are involved, we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. Just take marriage for an as, as an example. We, we often think that well, when we come home and, and there's an argument between our spouse that it's, it's because they had a long day and uh, it's hormones. Of course, all those things can play a part. But at the end of the day... Um, I, I would venture to say, I, I, to say that um, if we are discerning in what's going on, that the, the, we'll begin to see that the enemy is at work in placing a wedge between husband and wife to, present, to prevent them from fulfilling their gospel ministry to serve as parents or in their workplaces. You've got to be aware. If you want to persevere in the gospel ministry, you've got to be aware of the nature of the ministry. This is the reality of the nature of our work. Third, in order to persevere in the gospel ministry, you must make Christ known. Verses 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus 
for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, earlier, Paul said that he was commending himself in chapter 3, verse 1. But this didn't mean that his message was about puffing himself up. He pointed to their changed lives, to the changed lives of the Corinthians as the authentication of the gospel ministry. It was powerful to change because, because it was a message that was about Christ. And it was evident that it was powerful because the Corinthians no longer walked in their pagan ways. But they submitted themselves to Jesus Christ. Paul makes an allusion to the creation account when he says in verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. <clears throat> Similar to God bringing light out of darkness in the creation account and, and, and bringing life through it, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ likewise works and functions the, the same way. When the gospel is preached, it brings light over darkened hearts and it brings life with it. And this knowledge that Paul talks about in verse 6, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. This knowledge that he's talking about is not merely an intellectual knowledge, but he's talking about an experiential and relational knowledge that one has with the Lord. The Pharisees, if you look at, if you read the Gospels, the Pharisees had knowledge of Christ. They had knowledge of the Old Testament, and yet when Christ finally came, they didn't recognize him because they had a surface-level knowledge of truth, but there was nothing in their hearts. And what the word of God does when we preach Christ in his fullness is that he, he dispels the darkness from our darkened hearts and he shows us Christ and through seeing Christ with our hearts, we receive life. This is what we're called to, saints. We are called to make much of Christ. And although life may bring with it Trials and tribulations and sufferings of many kinds. You can take heart and you can persevere this morning by the mercy of God who is sufficient to enable us to accomplish the gospel ministry entrusted to us. I'm just going to close with this story. And, to, and just give you guys an example of someone that displayed uh, uh, persevering uh, by the mercy of God. My professor, um, John Carson, who used to pastor at Rockville Bible Church, has gone to be with the Lord now. But before he passed away, his life was taken away by cancer. And uh, I remember him coming to class one time, and he looked so weak. He just was, he was going, he's been going through chemo and, and, and he was weak. And yet um, at the same time, he had this glow about him. He still had this vigor. His, uh, you could see his, his joy in, his, in the midst of his weakness. He still had this joy to come and serve us. Every time he'd see me, he'd hug me with a tight hug and say, I'm glad that you're here, young man. I'm glad that you're here. I, I love that you're here training for the gospel ministry. He shared this, uh, this story with us one time, and, and he said, um, 
He said, man, if God didn't give me this cancer, I wouldn't have been able to preach the gospel to my nurse. This, this nurse would come in to, uh, after, after, um, after he, uh, uh, d- going through chemo, and, and every time this Filipino male nurse would come in, he would say, um, he would say, you know, there, there's something different about you. Uh, I just don't know what it, uh, well, he did know it was this. He's, there, there's something different about you um, in, in contrast to all these other patients. And John, John Carson asks, uh, well, what is that? There is a piece about you that I don't see in any other clients here. You see, John had his perspective right. He had his eyes on Christ. And in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his suffering, he persevered by the mercy of God. And he knew what his mission was. And even in that very trying season in his life, he was still able to accomplish the work that God prepared for him to walk in before the foundation of the world. So where are you at this morning? Are you, are, are you tired of the ministry? Are you, have you given up on the ministry? Have you just been coming Sunday after Sunday, warming the pews? Or have you been uh, just warming the pews this entire time, not being involved in some sort of ministry? It may not mean that you have to be directly involved in a ministry here at the church. Are you involved in your workplace? Are you involved in the gospel ministry in, in, um, in, in your household? How are in your community? We've been called to the glorious gospel ministry since. Let us walk in the glorious calling that God has called us to. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy, which allows us to persevere in the ministry of the gospel. God, I pray that that we would not walk away here having these words stolen by the enemy, but Father, that you would give us grace to walk persevering in the ministry, Lord. There may be many that have been weighed down because of life circumstances and are not in the game. But Father, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them to take up arms and take up the gospel and to make Christ known wherever it is that you've placed them. Father, we praise you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.